Church podcast. This is part three of our series, What Are You Building With Your Life? with a message entitled, Discipline, with Pastor Brent Jones. So we're going to continue in our series entitled, What Are You Building Your Life On? And last week, Pastor Nelson laid out three important functions that must work cohesively and in proper order if you want to have a well-lived impactful life. They are instruction, discipline, and leadership. If you do not have or offer clear instruction, then discipline cannot be applied properly. Therefore, leadership suffers. All three of these functions must have a flow into your life and out to others. We utilize them in parenting, in our places of work, in our homes, and ultimately in our faith walk with God. Pastor Nelson focused in particular on instruction last week and how it must be clear and concise and how to go about receiving and extending that clarity to other people. Now this morning I'd like to discuss the second function which is discipline. Don't we love that word? Anyone here love the word discipline? (laughs) Hey, that's actually a good thing. Most of us are a little uneasy with it because when we hear the word discipline, we immediately attach it to pain or discomfort, which makes sense because discipline is always somehow accompanied by some sort of pain. Otherwise, it wouldn't be discipline, right? But it's not something that we should shy away from. It's something we should actually move toward and lean into. Whether you're implementing some sort of discipline into your daily routine or being disciplined by someone in authority over us or over you, or offering discipline to correct somebody else, when it's exercised properly, it is good for the soul. It cleanses the soul. It trims the garbage and it allows the good stuff to grow. Anybody here into gardening? You know what pruning is, right? It's where you kind of prune off the unnecessary branches, even if they're like healthy branches but it's for what's best for the plant in the, in, the, uh, in the long run. Pastor Nelson quoted this scripture last week, and I think it's so good, I wanted to quote it again. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates reproof is stupid. In other words, leaning into discipline actually makes you a smarter person. It gives you wisdom. You gain experience. It makes you better. It makes you stronger in life, not weaker in life. It's not something that you should shy away from. But oftentimes we do, and for obvious reasons. We don't like change, and we certainly don't like pain. So I think in order to understand why you should embrace rather than run away from discipline, we need to look at what it really is. Where does it even come from? As with anything in the Christian faith, you must have eternity as your anchor point. God is a a God of law and order. God doesn't leave things to chance. In the physical realm, there are countless laws at work that must all work together and in order, just the perfect order for there to be life on this planet, let alone a planet at all. I remember in elementary school, I went to uh, Aspen Grove here in town, and that was back in the early 90s. 
And I see my uh, childhood friend is here from Aspen Grove as well. Those were the days, eh, the 90s? It's gone downhill since then, I tell you. But this is when computers were first coming out. And I think our school was maybe the first one in town to have like a computer room. So we thought we were awesome. We had these big clunky gray IBMs that had only black and white screens. And you could only do a handful of things on them. You had that little ball in the bottom of the mouse. You guys remember those? It was used more of, of a bouncy ball than a mouse most times. And by the time the computer booted up, there was like five minutes left in class. But I remember there was this race car game where if you got the math calculation right, your car would go from one end of the screen to the other end of the screen. That was it. That's how you won the game. <laughs> you get the math problem right and then you're like, yes! Such a motivator. My race car didn't make it across the screen very often. And I apparently wasn't very strong in math because there was this other game. Oh man, it was crazy. You'd have this big pixely black and white ball in the middle of the screen and it was supposed to be the sun. And then you'd have to place smaller balls around it. And if you typed in the correct coordinates and calculations, they would orbit the sun like planets. If you put in incorrect data, your planet would simply fly out of the screen into the abyss, never to be seen again, or it would shoot directly into the sun, and everyone on Earth would instantly be burned up. And I told you, math wasn't my strongest subject. I launched us into the sun countless times. I don't think I ever beat that one. But there are incredibly intricate laws that must operate in proper sequence in order for our universe to exist. And then right down to the microscopic cells working together inside and outside your body. When's the last time you took a step back and took a moment to even think about this sort of thing? It's incredible. I wanted to share these two verses with you, or these two uh, passages with you guys this morning. Um, and it's just, just sort of a side note, but I thought it was pretty cool. It's a, kind of about the earth. Isaiah 40.22 says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Apparently, Isaiah knew that the earth was round thousands of years ago. But hey, we'll give Christopher Columbus the credit for the time that he put in, but circle. He knew the earth was a circle. Then in Job 26, verse 7, it says this, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Job knew about outer space and the planet being suspended in it. God is a God of order. When something is out of order, the way to fix it is to bring it back into order. It needs correcting. Do you guys remember, again, back in the 90s, those arcades, they used to have an arcade here in the Prairie Mall. Parents would give you like five bucks and you'd go change it in for a thousand quarters, you thought you were rich. I told you math is hard for me. <laughs> it was almost a thousand quarters. Wasn't it so disappointing though when you'd show up with your 
you know, your roll of quarters, and your favorite game would have that piece of paper slapped on the screen, what did it say? Out of order. It needed the proper work or the sequence or calculation to come back into play, which is what discipline is. It corrects a behavior to bring it back into the order it was meant to be. This is why correcting children is so important. They must learn that certain behaviors aren't going to fly, especially when they're damaging them, when the behaviors are damaging to themselves or to other people. If left unchecked and undisciplined, children will go astray. And there's no guarantee that they won't go astray even when brought up in a healthy home where discipline is properly exercised, which again must follow clear instruction. But without proper instruction and, in, and or consistent discipline, they don't stand much of a chance. They will be in disorder. Check this verse out. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates their children. Did you catch that? Hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, I've heard people take this and say, oh, your Bible just condones child abuse. Well, physical discipline may almost never be necessary, depending on the child and the circumstance. Kelly and I, I, I like to think that we have a pretty good handle on what sort of discipline works for each of our kids, and they all respond differently. It's interesting. We have four. With one, it's taking video games away. With another, it's friends. With another, it's treats. And with the other, he's four, so who knows? He's a wild card. He's kind of nuts. We'll see. One thing we always try to do, though, is set the sort of example that God sets for us. Depending on the severity of their behavior, we always try to offer the opportunity for them to set things right. If they own it, apologize, and change their behavior, very often their consequence is lightened or it's altogether just abolished. It mirrors how as Christians, if we confess and repent our sins, repent of our sins, God forgives us without another thought. But if you have a little one who's decided it's time to make a habit of running out into the street without looking both ways, I think a quick reaction and a sore butt is better than a child being struck by a car. That's just me. If a parent isn't clear with their child about which behaviors they'll tolerate and which they won't, or even what the consequences of certain actions will be, then the discipline is either incomplete or very confusing. They end up in a place of never really knowing when mom or dad is going to be set off, which leads to a pretty turbulent home. And as that verse says, if you aren't interested in disciplining your children at all, you are actually acting in hatred towards them. I know that's a strong word, but it's intentional. It's there for a reason. You aren't loving them. And it's usually for a self-centered reason that a parent won't discipline their kids because what they're really doing is loving themselves ahead of their child. They're either lazy because being consistent with your kids is a lot of work and it's hard work, or they're people-pleasing. I just want to be my kid's friend. I don't want to be the bad guy. Well, guess what? 
More often than not, if you place the importance of being your child's friend ahead of being their parent while they're growing up, they'll actually grow up resenting or even hating you. If you provide for them a clear and consistent atmosphere of instruction and discipline, by the time they reach adulthood, you'll probably have a good friend in them. Children actually crave discipline, and it's super interesting to watch. All my kids do this, but I just love it when my daughter does this because she's the only girl I have. She's my baby girl. I'll give her a consequence for whatever poor behavior she's acting out. And of course, she'll be upset and cry for a bit or she'll throw a fit or whatever. But I don't budge. And about like 10 minutes, I don't know, 20, maybe half an hour later, she'll go out of her way to come sit on my lap and snuggle in tight to me. She somehow deep down recognizes that she's being loved and is safe because mom and dad are clear and consistent. It's interesting. There are so many verses in the Bible on the importance of disciplining your children, especially in the book of Proverbs. It really is the book of wisdom. So if you're struggling with this, I I recommend you read through it and then act on what it says. Discipline your children the way God disciplines his children and you'll be setting them up for success. Be shoddy or inconsistent with them and it won't turn out so well. Which brings me to these two questions that we'll explore a little bit to end off the morning. Remember last week when Pastor Nelson said it would be a little bit shorter? How does God discipline his children and why does God discipline his children? Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, verse 11 and 12 says this, and it's really interesting. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, he hovers over, sorry, and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him, no foreign God was with him. This was referring to the Lord leading Moses and his chosen people, the nation of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And this is such an interesting picture for God to be like an eagle and his people to be like eaglets. And you guys can go ahead and put those pictures up. I just have some interesting eagle pictures that I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a visual as we talk about it. Eagles tend to make their nest out of sharp sticks and thorny branches. And then they fill the inside with a whole bunch of soft feathers so that their young eaglets are comfortable. One parent will stay with the young while the other goes out and hunts for food to bring back to the nest where it's torn into strips for the young to easily consume. After a while, as the eaglets get older, both parents start leaving the nest and for longer and longer periods of time. Although they're never far enough away that they can't keep an eye on it, they're always keeping a watchful eye over their young. Eventually, they stop tearing the food into strips and expect the eaglets to do it as they learn how to use their sharp beaks and their talons. Even later, the parent will begin hovering over the nest, dangling the food, 
getting higher and higher each time so that the young have to start jumping and flapping their wings to try and get the food. Eventually, the time comes for the young to be forced to learn how to fly on their own. They have to be forced to learn how to fly. So the parent comes in and stirs up the nest. It gets rid of a bunch of those soft feathers exposing the sharp thorns. It makes it uncomfortable for them. It begins pushing and shoving the the young around, flapping its wings. They become very uncomfortable. Almost like down there looks better than up here. It's said that eventually the parent eagle will push the young out of the nest so that they're forced to flap for dear life or die by landing on the terrain below after a long fall as eagles' nests are known to be found in incredibly high places. If the eagle isn't able to fly on its own, it's said that the parent will swoop down and catch the young on its back or its outstretched wings just in the nick of time and bringing them safely back up to the next until the next try. Eventually, the eaglets are trained up and strong enough to be able to fly, hunt, and eat all on their own. An eaglet who loses their parents early on will never learn to fly. But if it survives the fall, it would be subject to hobbling around the ground like a chicken for its whole probably short life, even as it sees other eagles soaring overhead. And this is what God is like with us. Early on in our faith journey, he feeds us all we need. He looks after us. He gives us easy food to eat. Then he'll start to cause, cause us to do things on our own. And eventually, he'll get to the point of stirring up the nest to allow life to become very uncomfortable for us. This is natural. If we decide that nest is just too cozy and we don't really want to learn to feed ourselves or fly on our own, God himself will see to it that we do. If you're sitting in some habitual sin that you don't really want to change or you're avoiding some specific calling where you know very well that God is the one behind that calling, he will allow life to become very uncomfortable for you. It might be comfortable for a little while, but eventually it won't stay that way. It'll get worse and worse. But it's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. And he'll always be keeping a watchful eye on you. And he'll swoop down to save you just before you smash irreparably on the rocks below to pick you up and fly you back up to the nest to try again. That's his grace. That's his wonderful grace in action. This passage says it all. Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 11 says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, 
We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Where in your life are you not leaning into discipline? Is there some area that God is stirring up your nest? Is there some discomfort and pain that you've just been putting off or trying to ignore? Maybe your health has taken a turn for the worse or your bills or your debt is really piling and the pressure is mounting. Maybe your marriage is struggling or on the rocks. God doesn't allow this stuff because he hates you. He allows it out of love because he wants to chisel things out. But the more you ignore it, the more intense it will become. The more he'll remove those soft feathers exposing the thorns and sharp branches of the nest. Discomfort will only increase. If you're a parent or an employee or an employer or you hold any place of authority over someone else, are you skipping out on your responsibility to bring discipline to anyone? Again, I implore you, read the book of Proverbs. Learn how to show these people real love by bringing them discipline. And in closing, I want to say this. God doesn't punish you. There's a massive difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is where you cause somebody to suffer because they broke the rules. Discipline is about teaching someone how to make a better choice next time. It's about correcting poor behavior to bring about good in their life. It's for their best possible future. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And if uh, if you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. You can pray along quietly with me. You can borrow my words. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. But maybe you're at a point where you can't ignore the pain anymore. Life has just become sort of too uncomfortable for you. And he'll allow that, especially if we don't know him. He'll allow us to get real uncomfortable so that we'll turn to him, so that he can love us, so that he can lead us, so he can guide us. He loves you. You just need to receive him by faith as your personal Lord and Savior. And you can, you can confess to him quietly in your heart like this. You can say, Lord Jesus, today I'm taking the step. I've gone too long on my own. The pain, the discomfort is just too high. Not that I think you'll make my life painless and comfortable all the time, but God, I know that you love me and you have a plan and purpose for my life. And it is good. So Lord, I'm choosing to receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm choosing to believe by faith 
that because I've sinned and, and I fall short of your measurement, I need a savior. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose again. So I put my faith in you so that I can one day rise again as well and have eternal life with you forever. Lord, help me to understand this life. Uh, Help me to understand the pain. Help me to understand the hard things that I go through. But overall, help me to understand your love. The love that is stronger than anything I've ever experienced in my life. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. For the rest of us, Lord, you know the areas where we've been shying away. Lord, the instruction is there. The instruction is clear. You want to chisel these things out of our lives. And you want us to trust you. We don't have to hide from you. So Father, even those areas that we're blind to that we can't see, reveal them to us. Give us the strength to walk and step towards your chisel. To invite it in. Because we know you've got us. And you won't let us fall apart on the ground. But you do want us to become strong. And it's your discipline that does that in our lives. So we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to to discipline us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.